Mr. Spencer was a really bad man. Everybody in the village knew that he owned a gun, and everybody knew what happened to anybody who was foolish enough to interfere with him. That is, until Mr. Bulldog, another bad man, came to live in the same village. So reads the opening paragraph of the book, The Honest Thief, one of the great stories of Caribbean folklore. Mr. Spencer had a lovely banana tree in his backyard on which were the most beautiful bananas you ever saw, the largest and most beautiful. He watered the tree daily, promising to give it only a few more days before he harvested the bananas. Mr. Bulldog longed to taste one of these bananas, and he persistently asked Mr. Spencer for one. But Spencer made it clear to him that that would never happen as long as he was alive. By hook or crook, Bulldog threatened, I will steal the entire bunch of bananas between 6 o'clock tonight and 2 o'clock tomorrow morning. And so at 6 o'clock, Mr. Spencer positioned himself on his back porch, gun in one hand, coffee in the, in the other, one finger on the trigger, and his eyes watching for the slightest movement. 7 o'clock came, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, but no sign whatsoever of Mr. Bulldog. One o'clock, no Bulldog. Two o'clock. I'm sorry, 1.30, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I want to take my time to, live, to make this point. 1.30, no Bulldog. 1.45, no Bulldog. 1.50, no Bulldog. 1.55, still no Bulldog. 1.59, Mr. Spencer took his eyes from the tree to glance at his watch, and by the time he looked back, there was no bunch of bananas, only the dripping coming from the stem. Now, there's way more at stake than just a bunch of bananas, Jesus will tell us in this passage. We will read from Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. We are working our way through the book of Luke. And we are at chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. Jesus himself speaking, not only to his disciples, but to the crowds. He says this, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once, and when he comes, and I'm sorry, at once, when he comes and knocks, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, 
Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that, that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We said to us this morning, first of all, that the master the master, not a master now, but the master requires his servants to live prospectively. Now, you and I live our ways, I'm sorry, you and I live our lives in two different ways. We can live it retrospectively, meaning that we look backwards and try to gain knowledge from the past. Or we can live prospectively, meaning that we live with our eyes focused on the future, what is ahead. Living prospectively is a little bit more difficult than living retrospectively because living prospectively requires faith. We haven't seen what will happen. And so we have faith as we are living in anticipation of what will happen in the future. And what will happen in the future, Jesus tells us, is that the master, our master, will return. So in this passage, Jesus provides three images to underline how important it is for us to live prospectively. In fact, he, through these three images, he will show us how to live prospectively. The first image involves being prepared. The second, waiting patiently. And the third, being faithful. We, you and I, must be faithful servants in the present who are ready for what will come in the future. And what will come in the future is that the master whom we serve, the master of whom we are his servants, will come back. I want us to listen in as Jesus teaches us how the future must affect how we live now. He says this, stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So there are three commands that we see in this little passage. The first is, stay dressed for action. The second, keep your lamps burning. The third, be like men who are waiting for their master to return. Three images. Three images. 
Stay dressed means that we live in a state of perpetual readiness. You don't take your clothes off if you have to go out. You keep your clothes on if you know that something is happening which will require you to go out. Live in a state of perpetual readiness so that you are ready to move at a moment's notice. That's what Jesus is saying. Now we see this idea in the Old Testament when God commanded his people to eat the Passover, quote, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Be ready, is the idea here, because this will happen in a moment's notice. We see it in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul exhorted us as Christians as follows. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Again here, the notion is, the idea is, that we are ready, we are dressed. We see it a third time in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, where the apostle Peter gives us this exhortation. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, another translation says, girding up the loins of your mind, that's a, that's a dressing term there, and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. The point here is that Christians, you and I, are called to live in a state of perpetual readiness. Because something significant will happen at a time when we least expect it. It will be so sudden that there will not be time for us to get dressed. That would be the wrong time to go get, to try get, you know, looking for your shoes or your earrings or something. Um, there's just no time for that. No time for that at all. Because our master will return and only those of us who are dressed and ready for action will he take with him. So that's the first image. The second one is keep your lamps burning. In other words, keep watching for the master's return even in the dead of night, even in the darkest of night. We know that in the dark night, most of us are asleep. That's when we rest. We're not watching then, are we? We're sleeping. But Jesus will tell us, be like the wise virgins who kept oil in their lamps, unlike the five foolish virgins who were careless about having oil in their lamps. And we know what happened. Because you see, only careless Christians allow their lamps to go out because there's no oil. Only careless Christians have to beg oil from those whose lamps are burning from having oil in them. And because they're careless, they will hear, we do not have enough. We don't have enough for us and you. Why don't you go and buy oil for yourselves? Get your own. By the time they get oil, the bridegroom will have already taken the bride away, and the door of grace will be tightly shut. 
That's the second image. Here's the third one. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return. Now, back then in Jesus' day, because wedding feasts lasted sometimes for a whole week, the exact time of the master's return was uncertain, was unpredictable. And so like servants who had to be ready to serve their master whenever he returned, Jesus is saying, live your lives prospectively with the same anticipation that your master, Jesus, will return as well. That's our first point. We are called to live our lives prospectively. Secondly, only the servants that the master finds awake will receive his blessing. Blessed are those servants, Jesus says, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now there's, an, there's a very interesting twist to the master's blessing. He will serve the servants that he finds awake. Now, masters don't serve servants, do they? No, it's the other way around. Servants serve masters. But our master will prepare the meal. That is for those of us whom he finds awake. He will prepare the meal, he will set the table, he will seat us at it, and he will serve us the food. That's the contrast. But here is the catch. The master does not tell us the exact time when he will return. The only clue that he gives us is that he may return during the second or the third watch of the night, that is. You know, again, that most people are asleep during those times. They're not awake. They're asleep. If you were in Jesus' audience, you understood that there were three watches of the night. The first between 6 and 10 uh, p.m., the second between 10 and 2 a.m., and the third between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. The Romans, however, they changed this whole thing and they had four watches of the night. And so the first of these watches was at even, or sometimes they would call it at evening, and that would be from 6 to 9 p.m. The second was at midnight from 9 to 12 a.m. The third at cock crowing from 12 to 3, and the fourth at morning between 3 and 6. Now Jesus' point is very, very clear. Stay awake. Because you have no idea. It could be at any moment. Even deep into the night when most people are usually asleep, the master will return, and if you are not awake, you will miss him. That is his point. And so my question this morning is this. Why is it important to keep meeting every Sunday morning for discipleship, fellowship, and worship? And why is it important that every Thursday night we meet for prayer? It is so that we may exhort one another to remain awake. That is, that is why we do it. We do this 
so that we may encourage one another and exhort one another to stay awake. We don't want that day to find any of us sleeping. Because you see, it takes no effort whatsoever to sleep. Unless you're, unless you're me. Because I have sleep apnea. I have to actually force myself to get sleep. But sleeping happens at any moment. That's why sometimes in church you can be sleeping. All right? Because it doesn't require any effort. It does require effort to stay awake. It does. Same thing happens spiritually. Very easy for us to fall awake spiritually. Why is the Bible so clear that we must not neglect assembling ourselves together as is the habit of some? Some are in the habit of doing that. But the Bible says you don't do that. Don't even dare to follow that example. Reason being that we need to encourage one another and spur one another on to remain awake so that that day does not find us sleeping. Thirdly, carelessness in serving the master is too grave a risk. Carelessness is too grave a risk, spiritually speaking. Jesus says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, would any of you ever leave your house exposed if you knew that a robber would try to break in in your absence? None of you would. I would not. Does a thief ever let you know when he's going to strike, unless it was Mr. Bulldog here in the story that would tell you that I will, I will steal every one of those bananas between... 6 p.m. and 12 a.m. and 2 a.m. No, a thief does not let you know when he's going to strike. Does any one of you ever want to be caught off guard when your master comes? We cannot afford to be careless servants because our master will return at an hour when we least expect him to and he will call us into account for how we have served. A servant is accountable to his master. Spiritual carelessness exposes us to significant risk. If we are spiritually careless about our salvation, about our lives, about our service to the master, that exposes us to significant risk. Because, you see, we risk our house being broken into and losing our most valued possession, our soul. And so Peter, who is struck by what Jesus is saying, asks him this question. Who is this parable for, Lord? Who is it intended for? Is it for us or is it for the unbelievers? I want to say to us this morning that if you are a believer, you are a manager of the household God has entrusted to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, you are a manager. God has entrusted something to you to manage. 
And that might be your biological family, the family you're raising. That's, you're a manager of that. You are also one of the managers of the spiritual household that is Brown's Chapel. Because you're a servant, you're part of the body, God has entrusted to you the responsibility of being co-managers of his household. So you're one of his managers. The risk of having our homes and our church broken into by the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy is too grave for us to be careless about managing what has been entrusted to us. Because you see, when Jesus comes back, I have to account to him for what he has given me to manage, which is you. But you also have to give account to him for what he has given you to manage, which would be the individual responsibilities and tasks and stewardships that you perform. And so carelessness about serving our master is too great, too great a risk. Here's a final point. There's a distinction between a faithful and unfaithful manager. I'm told that when Queen Victoria was Queen of England, a homeless, hungry mutt wandered the streets. He was cold and hungry, and he wandered the streets, and he came to sit right at the feet of a guard outside of St. James' Palace. And so the guard picked him up and fed him and named him Jack. How is that for a little puppy, yeah? Jack. Jack became so attached to his new master that he went wherever he went. And so very soon, all of the guard adopted him as a mascot for the Scots guard. During the Crimean War, Jack could be seen striding with, with his master stride for stride on the battlefield, very proud to be walking with his master. However, his master got shot, fatally wounded. But Jack remained at his side, never left. And this so touched the queen. Well, he never left until they had to actually be taken off of the battlefield, both his dead master and Jack. This story so moved uh, Queen Victoria that she pinned the highest uh, medal, the highest honor um, for service on Jack's collar. But Jack didn't care too much about that. Because you know what happened? Every day for 12, the next 12 years, between meals, what Jack would do is make his way through the iron fence and go and lay right down on his master's grave. That is commitment. That is what faithfulness looks like. In the ancient Near East, a master often left a servant in charge of his household when he went away on business, maybe attending a wedding. The primary responsibility of this servant, this manager, was to look after the welfare of his master's servants, making sure that they were fed food was provided for them. And so the faithful manager is one who serves faithfully during his master's absence while watching, watching for his return. The faithful manager lives prospectively by serving faithfully until his master 
comes home. The faithful manager's servant, not service, I'm sorry, the faithful manager's service will be rewarded. Because you see what happens in the story is that he is given even more responsibility. He is promoted, if you will, to manage the, his master's entire estate. That is what faithfulness does. Jesus says, whoever is faithful in little will be given much to manage. This part that I'm going to share with you right now really struck out at me in this passage. I had never seen that before. I want you to notice here that there are degrees, there are three degrees of unfaithfulness that are mentioned in this passage. You see, sometimes we look at unfaithfulness as just one thing, but here Jesus tells us that there are, there are really three degrees of unfaithfulness. And these three degrees of unfaithfulness will be matched with three degrees of punishment. And so first, in the passage, we see that there is blatant disobedience, willful disobedience. So this is evidenced by the manager who makes light of their master's return, and he proceeds to mistreat his fellow servants while indulging himself in eating and drinking and getting drunk. He's willful. So he knows what his master wants, but he willfully disregards it. Instead of caring for their fellow servants, now, it, now these are his master servants, and they, so they are his fellow servants. Instead of caring for them, he abuses his fellow servants. And Jesus says, Jesus says, that when they least expect it, their master will show up he will cut them to pieces. Now, the Greek word that is used here is dichotomeo. We, got the word, we get the word dichotomy from it. That means to cut an unfaithful or condemned person in two. That's a severe punishment, isn't it? And then he goes on to say his master will assign him a place of total and eternal separation from himself, from his master, that is. So that's the first degree of unfaithfulness blatant disobedience, blatant disregard for the master's wishes. There's a second degree of faithfulness, carelessness or neglect. Now, this is evidenced by the manager who knew what their master required of them. He knew that the master wanted him to be faithful. He knew that. But he never saw the urgency of getting ready for their master's return, or doing what his master expected of him. So he treated it very lightly. Didn't treat it as an urgent thing. Jesus said that their punishment will be a severe beating. This is what he says. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. So this, even though it's severe, it is still less severe than the previous punishment, which would be to cut in two and, and, and suffer eternal punishment and separation from, from his master. But then there's a third degree of unfaithfulness, ignorance. Ignorance, evidenced by the manager who was unaware of what their master required of them, so he didn't know. And if you don't know, then you can't 
to some degree be blamed for it, can you? But listen to what Jesus says here. So, they were unaware of what their master required, but they failed to do it anyway. But here's the thing. He will not be able to use ignorance as an excuse. I'm sure that our attorney, our attorney here will tell you that ignorance of the law is no excuse. If I were driving down at 50 miles per hour in a 40 mile per hour zone, as a certain person was doing this morning as we were coming to church, I'm not going to name that person. <laughs> I had to say to that person, I think you are driving at 50 and it's 40. If a cop pulled us over for doing that, she would not be able to say, I didn't know that I was driving at 50 in a 40 mile per hour zone. I'm going to get it when I go home. I know that. <laughs> this servant will not be able to claim ignorance. They will still be culpable for their ignorance. However, Jesus says, their punishment will be less severe. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. All of these things prove that our master expects us to be faithful. The bottom line of our message this morning is that Jesus will reward the faithful and punish the unfaithful. And so there are three things that you absolutely must do in response to this message. The first of which is this, get dressed now. Get dressed now. The master is coming back. There's no question about it. He is coming back. He said he would. He does not break a promise. But he's coming back at an hour that you do not expect him to. So get dressed to meet him. And the time to get dressed is now. And the way you get dressed is doing what the master requires. And the first thing that he requires is that you give your life to him. then you let him dress you in his righteousness. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that this speaks to. You're not yet dressed to meet Christ. But you want to be dressed this morning and clothed in his righteousness. You want to exchange your unrighteousness for his righteousness. You want to exchange your unfaithfulness for his faithfulness. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed. I'm just going to ask you one time, is there any person here today that this speaks to and you want to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be ready to meet you. May I see your hand? Lord Jesus, I pray that, Lord, that if there's even one person here today or viewing online that is not that has not yet given their heart and life to Jesus. They're still holding out. I pray that you would help them to make their decision today for you, even now, even in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge us this morning to be on the lookout for the Master's imminent return. That word imminent means soon, although we don't know when. I'm told that a company employee went missing 
just for a few hours, but everybody in the company started looking for him, including his boss. And so his boss later found him, but instead of doing anything, in fact, instead of waking, well, he found him sleeping, actually. They found him sleeping, but instead of waking him, the master decided, I'm just going to go ahead and pin a note on his chest. And so he went ahead and pinned a note on his chest, which read, read as, like this, as long as you're asleep, you have a job. But as soon as you wake up, you're fired. <laughs> the one thing you can't afford to do if you're a Christian is to be fired because of being fast asleep when the master has already said to you, be watching. Stay awake. You risk everything when you are spiritually asleep. I want to ask you this morning, what are some of the things that you need to stop doing in order to be ready for your master's return? Make a list. Are there some of the some things that you need to stop doing right now in order to be ready? Are there some things that you need to start doing? So some things you might need to stop doing, and then there are others you might need to start doing in order to be ready and awake for when your master returns. Thirdly and finally, strive to let the master find you faithful. I don't know about you, but I want to be faithful. This business that God has entrusted to us is not something to play around with or, be, or take lightly. I want to be faithful. I don't want to be caught sleeping on the job. I want to be faithful because, you see, I have to give an account to God for how I have served you. And I want to, be, I want to, I want to hear, well done, Theo. Well done. So I want to stay awake. I want to be faithful. I want to keep managing what God has entrusted to me. And I want to keep challenging you to be good managers, good stewards. Is it music? Is it worship? Is it discipleship? Is it working in the nursery? Is it the sound booth? What is it that God has entrusted to us to manage? Is it my own personal discipleship? Is it my prayer life? Am I managing these things well? Do I know that I have to give God an account for them? So what must I let go of? What, what must I stop doing to be more faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? What do I need to start doing to be more faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Ponder those questions as we pray. Lord Jesus, you are our master. You did not save us for us to be independent. You saved us to be your servants. And you left us the command that we should watch and pray and serve and do so faithfully. God, I pray that each one of us this morning, that each of us, Lord God, would carry out an examination of our lives and to see whether or not we are serving you faithfully. Show us the areas of our lives that we need to improve on, to work on, 
things we need to do differently, things we need to stop doing, things we need to start doing, so that one of these days God would hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. Send us away with these words ringing in our hearts and in our ears. In Jesus' name we pray.